Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 49. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. And today we are jumping into chapter 12 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Patronus. Or, as we like to call it, Wizard Lobotomy. So we open up the chapter with the falling out between Harry and Ron and Hermione. So Harry knows that Hermione meant well, but he's still angry, which I think is mature of him to know that, like, she did what she thought was right, but he's still, like, you know, allowed to be angry about it, which he is. And him and Ron are just very concerned about the broomstick, which I, I'm not a sports person, so I cannot relate to this at all. I mean, I get it. I understand being hyped about it. And I also understand being concerned about it. Like, what if it gets a, like, car people are like that. People who really dig their cars, like, don't lean too close to my car, the buttons on your pants could scratch the paint you know they're that way about the firebolt for sure i think it's a little funny that they're so concerned about it being stripped down as being like physically damaging to the broom because there's no way mcgonagall would let that happen (laughs) she probably loves quidditch more than both of them and she knows what having this broom will do for her team so like I feel like she's going to do what's necessary to check it for danger, but she's also going to have a bit of an emotional investment in the well-being of the broom because it has value to her. Yeah, it's interesting because Ron's also fears with Hermione, as it's described. And like, he doesn't really have anything in this argument because it wasn't his broom. It has nothing really to do with him, but he's just more, it's said that he's mad about her because the firebolt's just like this, like, ungodly object that he's like it's the principle of the matter but i also think it's more he's saying it's the principle of it but it's more because he's already had issues with hermione earlier in the year with crookshanks and scabbers and everything so i feel like he's already had issues with hermione and this just kind of was like the last straw yeah so hermione's like you know avoiding them and like giving them their space or whatever which is fine letting the boys have their feelings and uh, so oliver comes back from christmas and he's just kind of you know like harry do you have you got a broom have you figured out the dementor things and i'm wondering like the way that he phrases it makes it seem like he would replace harry if harry didn't have the dementor stuff under control i think he would I think that's exactly what he's implying. He's like, listen, Harry's the best seeker unless he's just going to fall off his broom and faint. In that case, literally anyone else is the better seeker. The requirements is will not faint during the match. That's the requirement to be better than Harry. Yeah, wow. But I was just like, yeah, Wood loves Harry, but he's like, you know, I care about winning more. (laughs) And it's great the way he words it. It's not like, have you you gotten, are you doing better? Have you learned coping methods? It's just like... Only as an end to improving Quidditch and like making sure Harry's good for Quidditch. He's like, hey, here's a bunch of like really important, hard to do things, but you did them for the Quidditch. They're all done, right? Quidditch? Quidditch. Are you ready for Quidditch? Did you prepare for the Quidditch? Especially when uh, Ron tells Oliver that Harry got a firebolt for Christmas and Oliver's just like, about to like pass out from excitement. Yeah. Until he finds out McGonagall confiscates it. And then Harry tells him, like, like, he's like, why did she confiscate it? And he's like, oh, Sirius Fox, you know that murderer? He's apparently out to get me and trying to kill me. So it might be Jinx or something. I love how Oliver Wood is not thrown off by that or disoriented. He's so like goal oriented on the Quidditch that like that's just a little bump on the side. Line. He's like, oh, okay, you have a side quest going on. Cool. Um, don't worry about that. Quidditch. It kind of accepts that fact that, you know, Harry's just like a marked man and someone's trying to kill him. And he's like, cool, but Quidditch. Yeah, I feel like it for a characters to be believable, they each need to sort of think they're the main character. And I feel like Oliver Wood definitely thinks he's the main character in a book like Quidditch Through the Ages. He's like, the main plot line is we play and win Quidditch games. And everything else is side quest and not that important to the plot. And whatever, Harry, in your spare time, deal with the serial killer or whatever. 
the issue is the broom thing. <laughs> yeah. I did find it interesting that Oliver says something to the lines of like, oh, Sirius Black couldn't just go buy you a broomstick, which is really funny because Sirius did end up buying the broomstick. So he found a way. Yeah. But uh, Wood, Wood declares that he will go talk to McGonagall and he'll get the broom back. Don't worry, Harry, which... He's like, don't worry, she'll understand. Quit it. Moving back into the next term, back at their classes, and Hagrid seems to be doing a lot better teaching. He seems more cheerful and kind of getting back into the swing of things because after uh, Buckbeak and Malfoy, he was kind of like really dejected and teaching them really boring things. But now they have... Uh, yeah, he's doing fun and cute stuff again. They have a bonfire full of salamanders. Salamanders. That's cute. I'm expect thinking like little cute fire lizards that like cough up a little fire every once in a while playing around in the bonfire. That's so fun. That's such a cute creature. Especially a nice, uh, you know, class to do in the winter because I think they're in it's a January. Yeah, so toasty warm fire, toasty warm salamanders. Also, Harry's told he has a very short lifeline by Chilorani when they're learning like palm reading. Yeah, classic. Trelawney like oh Harry you're probably gonna die okay just just another day at school then eh good to know just another divination class and the uh Harry and Brown are talking about how Lupin still doesn't look so great and they wonder what sickness he has and Hermione who's already figured it out isn't helping them or telling them she's doing that sort of mildly infuriating Hermione thing where she's like tut tut hmm oh I wonder if only like she knows she knows they know she knows and she's like lording it over them I do feel like Hermione's uh losing it a little bit because Harry and Ron are very social people and Hermione they make Hermione more social and without them like she's not talking to people or like being really like a social person she's just studying and doing schoolwork all the time and I feel like this is when like the school stress is really starting to get to her mm -hmm. she found out this really cool thing but she doesn't have anyone to tell but she's like in this really awkward position with Harry and Ron because Hermione will never admit that she's wrong yeah absolutely she wants them to chase her is what it is she doesn't want to go back to them she wants them to chase her and the fact that she knows what's wrong with Lupin is something that she knows they would find interesting so she's like dangling a carrot she's like oh you want to know this interesting thing chase me you come back to me you apologize which is just not necessary being obnoxious about it and tutting them about something she knows doesn't necessarily make them miss her yeah i just feel like she's kind of losing it and so her social skills have gone, kind of gone back to zero not that they were great but like harry and ron and definitely like having people to speak to on this yeah she's kind of, she's kind of losing it she's devolving again why do they let her take all these classes no human should be doing that but um i also find it interesting that ron believes that she doesn't know what's going off lupin when she, she really does i mean how do you doubt hermione knows she's figured it out pretty yeah lupin is giving harry uh patronus lessons or i guess dementor fighting lessons at this point yeah and so when lupin is explaining what patronuses are he kind of describes them as, as guardians that protect so harry uh imagines hagrid as like this kind of protector which i thought was kind of cute because hagrid was really his first like protector and introduction to the wizarding world yeah it's very wholesome so it's kind of cool that like that's who he kind of imagines like his guardian to be kind of a letdown that it's just a deer well technically it's it's more like his father in animal form Ugh, that's so freudian 
get over yourself, Harry. Hagrid would be very fun here. This whole chapter talks about all of the, like, the daddy issues and mommy issues Harry has. Yeah. Yeah, so Harry is fighting a Bogart that comes out as Dementor, obviously, and he's having a few tries with this spell. And, like, part of him, he's kind of battling with his thoughts because part of him likes hearing his parents' voices. And then the other part of him is traumatized that it's their voices while they die. <laughs> yeah, he wants to fight the Dementors so he can play Quidditch. Quidditch. Again, the priority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Harry's 13, you know, sports and hobbies and stuff seemed so life and death back then. They still are life and death for a lot of people, let me tell you. Two years ago, me. I do find it uh, interesting that Harry tells, he's been very honest with Lupin, like, oh, like, oh, I hear my mom's last words when I, the Dementors come near. And like, after Lupin, like, helps him up after he passes out, he's just like, oh, I heard my mom. And Lupin's just kind of like, has this kind of like, face. And I just wonder, like, this poor guy, like, what emotions does he have to be going through hearing this. Harry's just saying it to him very matter-of-factly and kind of separated by it, but Lupin actually knew his parents, and he's just like, it's probably a torment every time Harry's like, oh, I heard my mom that time, or my mom said this, and he's just like, oh, God. Especially because Lupin doesn't know exactly exactly what happened, you know what I mean? He has no idea what the words were, and like, there's probably a part of him that just wants to know exactly what happened and ask Harry, but at the same time, it's like he has to be really sensitive to Harry's feelings because this is something really traumatizing for Harry, and at the same time, it's traumatizing for Lupin and it's probably hard for Lupin to understand how Harry's handling it so well because it's his parents but they're like idealized like fill in the blank people to Harry because he didn't know them and because Lupin's not like oh it's just a mother figure that's dying he's like no it's Lily Lily who I studied for this exam with Lily who lent me her quill when my you know like he has all these personal close emotional memories of those people and it's probably so hard for him to look at Harry which is basically the face of James and just hear those things yeah poor guy yeah because Harry doesn't know and like Lupin does know and I, that's just like and he still goes ahead of teaching him but I'm like oh that that's that's rough you have a point here that Harry's determination to get handle this for Quidditch of all things that's all ever gotten to him because Lupin does say a few times like oh we can we can stop here we can stop here and he's like no I gotta do this for the Quidditch game it's coming up yeah Oliver Wood made it made it very clear and he told McGonagall too that he really doesn't care if Harry's thrown from his broom <laughs> as long as he catches the snitch first which is kind of the mindset of a lot of characters like mm, Harry could die but if as long as we win the, what a way to die if we win the Quidditch match, you know? To die with the snitch in his hand, glorious, worth it. So the one time when Harry's practicing his Patronus, uh, he ends up passing out and he hears his dad's voice for the first time and he wakes up with tears on his face and he's just like, he has to like kind of have a private moment to like wipe his face and stuff. And I feel like it's really sad because this book, I think, really represents Harry's need to know his dad I think as like a boy growing into a man and stuff and like needing to know more about his dad and feel close and connected to his dad it's a whole book about Harry's daddy issues and his substitute father figures Mr. Weasley at the beginning kind of warning him about Sirius him trying to help Hagrid while being mad at Hagrid him learning to bond with Lupin and then him with Sirius at the end it's definitely just like Harry's entire search to see what kind of man he'll be by grasping into every form of father figure he can find so I think this really shook Harry but I think it also shook Lupin a lot oh yeah because Lupin at that point um said you you heard James and Harry's kind of thrown off being like how how do you know like what do you mean 
And so Lupin does reveal that he knew James and they were friends at school. But Lupin kind of brushes it off being like, oh, we are friends at school. And he says, we need to like stop now. Like this is a bit too much. For me personally, emotionally, I need a break. I do get like Lupin hearing him saying he hears Lily is one thing, but James, I feel like really throws Lupin off because he's basically looking at a young version of James. Yeah. Poor Lupin. He's just also being like (laughs) traumatized through Harry. And I think it's hard because like, first of all, Harry as a kid often probably forgets that like, the adults have their own things going on as well and they go through emotional things and like they can just be sad too. Like you forget sometimes that adults are emotionally vulnerable and like because Harry doesn't know why it's such a sensitive topic for Lupin, it's got to be so many shades of almost lonely for Lupin to be in this moment and not be able to tell Harry the things he wants to tell Harry and not be able to like express why he's going through this emotional journey. Like Harry's just sort of like sitting there watching it happen to Lupin. Yeah. And isn't even able to help him because he doesn't know what he's going through. Because it's interesting that Remus finally opens up and says, oh, I knew James, we were friends at school. And usually that would segue Harry to be like, oh, you knew my dad and like ask questions and stuff. But Lupin kind of like cuts it off being like, oh yeah, we were friends at school. Also segue, like we should end the lessons for now because like you've been like pretty emotionally tampered with. And then Harry's like, oh, and you also knew Sirius. And Lupin's like, ugh. Yeah, so yeah, Harry asks him, like, oh, if you knew my daddy, you must knew Sirius Black. And first he's just like, like, what do you mean by that? Like, kind of offended. And he's like, oh, I knew, I knew him and my dad were friends. And then Lupin, like, really avoids these questions being like, like, oh, I knew, I thought I knew him, but obviously I didn't. And just very, like, yeah, gotta be really hard, though, because he's basically confronting all these, like, ghosts he's put behind him, being back at the school. Yeah. Back with Snape again seeing Harry and it's just like all these things from his past that he's put behind them coming back and he has to really confront them. Yeah. And it's also interesting that Harry, given an opportunity to like ask questions about who his father was, chooses to move on to ask about Sirius. Like he's in such a headspace of vengeance that like he can't even just like, like he could have had a really good, nice conversation with Lupin just about what his dad was like, you know? Oh, um, did he play, like, tell me about how my dad was when he played Quidditch. What was my dad's favorite classes? You know, what what did he do for fun what kind of jokes did he tell like he could have just gotten like a good sort of warm moment to revel in like the person his father was because he has no idea and instead as soon as he realizes that he knew his father he makes the serious connection and chooses to go in that direction and it's such a like it feels like a conscious moment where harry like leans towards vengeance rather than love you know yeah, it's, it's still in his head. I think if before he found out the backstory, he probably would have asked about his dad. But now all he's thinking about is Sirius Black and vengeance and just like injustice of it all. Yeah. To end the class and Harry has his chocolate and he goes and sits in like a corridor for a moment because he's very aware that he wants to hear his parents yeah. again. And hearing his dad and stuff like really did shake him, but he didn't really want to just showed that in front of Lupin and he has to sit there and tell himself that his parents are dead and they're not coming back and he can't hear them again and he needs to like get over it and while he's eating his free chocolate I love that so back at the common room uh Ron is still actually pretty concerned about Hermione despite being angry with her it's from that Hermione is just like always in the common room in the back corner with a bunch of books and stuff spread out and she's like working until like the middle of the night every day and Ron's still he's worried about her I guess for the workload but he's also concerned like how she's getting to all her classes because he notes like she's in this class with us but then I heard that she's always in this class at the same time and like how is she doing it I don't understand that's not possible how is 
she doing it? Yeah. It's like some of the other stuff has died down a bit for Ron. And so this is his new like hyper fixation. It's like, how is Hermione doing it? Because it feels like they kind of always need to have something they're hyper fixated on or working towards or investigating. And like the other investigations are in like a lull. So he's like reoriented himself and he's like back on this train about what is up with Hermione. I think it shows that they all kind of have like, they all care for each other really deeply. And despite being angry with each other, like they can still kind of be like, I still care about you and your well-being and like your feelings and stuff despite being angry at you for something yeah so everyone's still like kind of concerned about her kind of like still also kind of like not worried but like just wondering how she does it yeah he's concerned because he does have empathy even though he's mad at her but he's also just curious because Gryffindor like he's just like I don't know and I want to know like then we get this funny conversation with Wood where he explains his conversation with Professor McGonagall which I wish had been fully included because I could just imagine her yelling at him yeah was just like Harry needs his broom so we can win like who cares if it's like partially jinxed or not as long as we win and she's like uh fix your priorities <laughs> but to be fair McGonagall has in the past done the same thing where she's like Harry you absolutely cannot do this thing and Harry's like yes but I have to do it because Quidditch and she's like okay you're right Quidditch so like Oliver Wood and McGonagall have very similar priorities McGonagall slightly prioritizes Harry's safety over other things but like Quidditch is still like her weak point too kind of and so Wood kind of convinces he's like Harry you should just buy another broom like because I don't know when you'll get the fireball back and so Harry is just like hemming and hawing about it like just order a new broom you're so rich oh but I can afford everything it's so hard to make choices I think it's funny that Wood's like listen just order like the Nimbus 2001s they're good they're what the Slytherin team has and they're great and Harry's like ugh I don't want that. If Draco Malfoy thinks it's good, I don't want it. And it's just so petty. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yes, but it is, with an exception of the Firebolt, one of the best brooms around. But he's just going to decide it's not good enough because Malfoy likes it. It's like, ugh, Malfoy has it. So gross. <laughs> okay, all right. I, sometimes I briefly forget he's a 13-year-old child and then he does something like that. And I'm like, oh no, he's just a child still. He's just, uh, he's petty. I think it's interesting that after one of their classes, Lupin sits down to have a drink with Harry and he pulls out the butterbeer. And I just like, now knowing that we've come to the conclusion that it is in fact alcoholic, even though it's a tiny bit, it seems so weird to me. Like you're hanging out with your teacher, you're 13 and he's like, so want a beer? I'm like, wait, what? That's so inappropriate. I like, I think it's gotta be like a UK thing, but it feels so weird and like inappropriate to me. And I'm like, maybe if if Harry was like, yeah, in our culture, it'd be very weird. <laughs> yeah, like listen, like the 18 is the drinking age in Quebec. Yeah, the optics are a bit weird, but I get the idea that Lupin wanted to give him a treat for you know working so hard and everything. You gave him like seven pounds of chocolate. <laughs> is that not a treat enough? But that was. That was medication, basically. That wasn't, like, a treat. It's just so... It's such a weird visual. Yeah, and so Lupin kind of describes when Harry, like, asks what Dementors do when he describes the Dementors kiss, which sounds absolutely terrible. The first thing I want to say is Dementor kiss is very evocative language because there's something, like, very intimate and close about a kiss, and to have it be, like, an evil, yeah. sinister thing is interesting. Um, the first time I think as a kid I heard the term, I was like, Dementors kiss? They're gonna kiss you? Ew! That's gross! We don't even know if they have a face! Like, how is this possible? Yeah, I never imagined them having faces, so it was very strange to me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a weird thing to, to picture. 
I pictured like you know when like cartoons, like old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Sometimes when a character kisses another character, the characters stay really far apart, and they just cartoon their lips closer together. <laughs> like that's kind of how I pictured the Dementors kiss when I was younger. Like cheesy cartoon style, like really far apart, leaning in together, lips stretched, just absolute goofy. And now as an adult, I picture it a lot more sinister. It's not really a kiss. It's more like vacuum sucking at your soul. Yeah, not ideal. Doesn't sound. I mean, we've all had some kisses that are a little unpleasant but I've never uh, lost my soul from one certainly um I also think it's interesting they talk about like the repercussions of the Dementors kiss like what you're left like afterwards and it sounds a lot like lobotomy like it sounds a lot like how lobotomies were used back in the day in like antiquated institutions where like they section they take that section of your brain that does your personality and choices and opinions and like you just become a shell of a person. And it's almost exactly what they describe. And I wonder if, like, we know Dementors are basically depression, but it's interesting to think of, like, this is how the wizards lobotomize people who they think are so bad they can't be sort of, like, changed or improved. Yeah. Yeah, Almost, like, capital punishment would almost be better. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know if, do do they do? I don't think they do capital punishment in the wizarding world unless you die in a duel. Like, I feel like... Once they've got you, you're in Azkaban or you're Dementored Kissed. I don't think they, they kill wizards. Yeah, it is very, like, dark and kind of creepy. Just the idea of, like, oh, once your soul's gone, you're, you're alive technically. But, like, it's basically like you're brain dead almost. You're not you. You're just your dancing skeleton in your meat suit. You know what I mean? Like, you are what lives inside your head. Then there's a skeleton and a meat suit. <laughs> Lupin kind of just says that, like, oh, the Dementors have permission to, like perform the kiss on Sirius Black once they catch him. And Harry's like, good, because he's still thinking that Azkaban's too good for Sirius Black and he wants him punished. But Lupin's torn because he's like, is and does anyone really deserve that? Which I think is very like empathetic because also Lupin's coming from a place where he turns into this monster like once a month and so he has an interesting perspective on like what it feels like to not be able to be yourself or to be trapped inside your own body, which is kind of what it sounds like the Dementor's kiss does to you. Yeah, and I'm assuming he wants empathy for him when he goes through things that are out of his control and he's just like does anyone really deserve to be like that it's very impressive how lupin can be this empathetic sort of towards Sirius, because like Sirius betrayed lupin's trust led lupin astray by making him believe they were friends for all those years and then killed someone lupin loved more than just about anybody else so like the fact that lupin can even feel sympathy and say it's too bad and shouldn't happen even for Sirius says a lot about like the emotional maturity of lupin who, like, is one of the surviving people who was most victimized by what they think Sirius did, to say, you know what, no, he probably doesn't deserve it, and I don't think anyone does, is, like, very mature, very emotionally well-rounded. Good for Lupin. It's hard, probably, too, like, because he has two versions of Sirius. He has the version that he knew in childhood and grew up with, and then he has the version that, like, he he doesn't, he can't comprehend them being the same person that did who he assumed did all the bad things and the betrayal. And so I think for him, it's hard to like separate them. He can't really connect them as being the same person. And he probably really struggles with it as we see a lot, him trying to like hide the fact that he knew Sirius and like whenever Sirius Black is brought up, he's he kind of changes. He has to kind of like adjust his state of mind to deal with it. And it's got to be a really hard thing to kind of, like, deal with, like, connecting, like, a childhood friend who you have all these great memories with to someone that, like, 
betrayed you so deeply. Yeah, some monster who kills people. I think it's interesting because Lupin seems to show a lot of strength in the areas that are least valued by wizarding society. Things like emotional maturity, empathy. Like, he's so willing to, like, let Snape treat him like crap sometimes and just, like, accept it and not retaliate and just be so non-confrontational sort of in those ways. And I think it's one of those things where, like, they're such important and valuable traits. Even his, like willingness to like open up emotionally and show emotional vulnerability with Harry and stuff. He has so many of these wonderful traits, but they are just the specific traits that the wizarding world doesn't seem to place a lot of value in. So it's kind of like, that's one of the reasons why no one seems to see Lupin as, as powerful or as important or as significant in society, not just because he's a werewolf and he's shabby clothes, but because what he offers and the areas he excels in are like super undervalued in this society. And it's kind of sad because like the things Lupin offers are actually the things that like people like Harry need. Yeah. I feel like Lupin's one of the most level-headed and more sensitive characters in the series, which is why it's so kind of like off-putting in Deathly Hollows, where he kind of like completely 180s and like, wants to abandon his wife and kid yeah because he's scared and so that's why kind of like it shows harry just seeing this person that he knows is very level-headed like empathetic mature and sensitive completely change he's like this is not right so harry leaves to enter class after that kind of like pretty deep discussion about just kind of like life and death and everything in between and poor neville has um made a list of all the passwords that circuit dragon has uh, made because he changes them like what twice a day or something which I mean I'd probably be in Neville's uh, boots too like two passwords a day and he changes them like whatever so Neville was thinking ahead as someone who works in computers and in a computer related field there's a lot that goes into security and there's an extent to which you should change your passwords with a certain degree of frequency to be safe. But there's also a certain degree where if you change them too much, they're going to be hard for people to remember. And it leads to things like people having to write them down when they should. I also kind of think like, especially given the amped up level of security, they shouldn't just have a verbal password and it be something someone can write down because that to me seems like a security risk, especially given that they've had incidences in the Gryffindor common room recently, they should have more than just one verbally repeated password that anyone can overhear or write down to get in right now. But in the case of someone like Neville, who's sort of like proven himself to have a bit of an issue, I think they should at least add some version of like a biometrics, like fingerprint scan, retinal scan, something like that. A, for students who are going to forget the password, but also just as a second layer. So like obviously you could polyjuice potion yourself to look like some Gryffindor student to break in, but you'd also have to know the password and you'd have to have made the Polyjuice Potion. So like, it feels like that's a pretty, especially in the magic world, we don't have to like invent a machine to do it. You could just hocus pocus it to know students' fingerprints or something. I feel like they should really be increasing the levels of security to get into this common room. Yeah. It should at least be two-factor identification. It is one-factor identification and they know students are writing that down. Like, I feel like Neville is trying to do the right thing because... He already has trouble remembering the normal passwords and now that they change all the time he would and he'd have to like wait around for someone else to help him get in because he never remembers it and so he's trying to be like kind of proactive and be like okay so i'm gonna write down the password so but it's such a security risk you should never write down your Ugh. it kind of seems like people should be aware that Neville, like he's struggled with passwords and forgetting them all the time now it kind of seems like this is the kind of thing a prefect should be focused on like this should be the job of the prefect if you have a student who can never figure out the password to get into the common room you need to like 
have something in place, like a use a fingerprint scan, or like you can read wizards' wands. They've used like looking at a wand as identification of wizards before. Have to have Neville's wand looked at to get in instead of him remembering the password because. At this point, it's like he's a 13-year-old boy. He isn't the security risk, the fact that he writes down things on paper because you know he's doing it. It's the adults and the people who are responsible for putting the security in place are the problem. They know he's doing this. They know he can't remember the passwords. They've done nothing about it. Yeah, well, after they get into the common room, uh, McGonagall lets Harry know that his broom was fine. They couldn't find anything wrong with it, and they've returned it to him. So he has the firebolt for the Quidditch game coming up, which is so exciting. Everyone's, like, in the common room. It's like, like goggling over it because everyone's like oh my god can we look at it can we touch it can i poke it can i breathe in its air can i sniff it it's like it's like some kind of godlike instrument everyone's just like yeah fanatic over it and harry is mature and he's like you know what to ron like hermione like was just looking out for my safety and she didn't nothing bad happened so like we should make up with her because she's only trying to do what she thought was best and ron agrees which is some great maturity because they could have kind of lorded it over her like, oh, that there is nothing wrong with it. You were wrong. Na 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 boo boo. We were right. Yeah. Even if she did think something was wrong with it, like her intentions were to look out for his safety, which is nice to have in a friend. It's a good intention. Not a lot of people care about Harry's. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when your friend's Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Who's <laughs> always like off dying somewhere. Someone's always trying to kill that guy. So they come over to Hermione who is, you know very stressed and pouring over her books and Harry notes that she looks very tired almost as like she look, kind of looks like Lupin worn out haggard exhausted overworked underpaid <laughs> and Ryan's probably like doing like what 36 hour days for all her classes and then extra like 10 hours of like studying and homework time like I hope she's also making sure she gets extra hours of sleep like I hope she's like probably not she's got to do that she's got to make sure she gets wakes up at 9 a.m rewinds time I don't think Hermione thinks it like stuff like that I feel like she finds sleep and like and like stuff like that like time wasted like she likes to be busy so any kind of idle time that she should be using to sleep she's like oh I don't need that I just live on fumes classic you know Hermione but um you know Harry lets her know that the room was fine she's like even though she was wrong she's like well at least you know that it's not jinxed or whatever and it's safe to use which is all she kind of like wanted him to know. Yeah, she's kind of being like, but think how much better you'll feel riding it, knowing it's safe. And Harry's like, I didn't think it was unsafe before. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't have thought of that at all. Yeah, but you no, know, that's what Hermione thinks about. So Ron takes the firebolt up to the, uh, the their dormitory while Harry kind of like is kind of surveying Hermione being like, hey, buddy, you okay? <laughs> have you slept? Have you eaten a vegetable? <laughs> she looks very tired and worn out and sickly. And Harry tries to like be like, hey, you know, like maybe you should drop some of these classes so you can have a normal schedule. And she's like, what? No, like super scandalized about it. I'm not a quitter. But then we have this big cliffhanger at the end where Ron starts screaming upstairs and comes down with his these bloody sheets. And allegedly Scabbers is dead because he assumes this is Scabbers' blood and Scabbers is missing and he found cat hair up in the dormitory. Love the detective skills. He's out there looking for DNA evidence. He's like, aha, that's a weird ending. Yeah, it's kind of like into the next fallout. So many friendships and tensions are high. I know Hermione kind of goes kind of handles is kind of dumb. I feel like she kind of doubles down because she doesn't want to be wrong. But um, cats generally, if they have a kill, they would have brought it to their owner. <laughs> I speak from experience. The Harry 
and Hermione feud has ended, and now we're going into the Ron Hermione feud, which has been brewing basically this whole book. Yeah. So do you have any closing um, remarks before we wrap up this chapter? I would like to say you're welcome to all of you for the pro tips on passwords that I've provided you. Keep your information safe out there. The internet is a dark and scary place, as are common rooms at magic schools. So My closing remarks are that this chapter made me kind of sad, just like kind of having all these Harry and his obvious dad issues and just kind of like I think kind of me trying to visualize what it would feel like to be in his place and it's kind of brushed over in this book because it's still a children's book and they're keeping it light but it's heavy topics a lot in this series is reading things when you're older it's just kind of like you don't really think about the repercussions of that as a child and rereading it I'm like oof that that really that really hurts yeah it does all right thank you for listening to our podcast if you've liked it you can like it. And if you didn't like it, you can comment and tell us you didn't like it. You can follow us on social media at Pottery Visited or email us at PotteryVisitedPodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back next time to jump into chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Quidditch is the plot. <laughs> Quidditch is everything. And we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>